Well, go ahead and have a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today. After I got out of college, I had this passion for Jesus, and I also recognized a passion in working with students. Uh, the worst two years of my life, bar none, were the two years I spent at Los Alisos Middle School, and so I felt like it might be a good thing to help other junior hires negotiate those years in their life, and so I began to volunteer at Mission Viejo Christian Church right next to the Royal Donuts and Burgers and Big O to Go Pizza. Those are real names. And so I began to, to serve in the youth ministry there. And after six months or so, the senior pastor and the elders came to me and let me know that they were losing their fifth youth pastor in four years, pretty high turnover rate there, and would I consider being the interim youth director while they searched for a real youth pastor? And I said yes. I had no idea what I was saying, and I had no idea what I was doing. All I knew is that I had to quit tending bar. That's right, I was a bartender at the time. And, uh, you know, the disciples, uh, when they left, uh, you know, to follow Jesus, they had to drop their nets. I had to drop my martini shaker. And I, I did that. I went and began to serve Jesus in this capacity. And, um, and yet... I didn't know how to approach ministry, so I did everything. I, I led worship, I led the singing, I played the guitar, I wrote the messages, I prayed for everything, I planned everything. It was, I thought that's just what you did. You did everything, and junior high, high school, college, across the board, the ministry was just tanking. And I realized if I didn't get some help soon, I was gonna kill this whole thing. And so somebody told me about Youth Specialties. Youth Specialties is an organization still in business. They do conferences, trainings, they write books, uh, they give instruction on vibrant ways to engage youth and point them into this relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I booked the first conference I could. It was in San Francisco. And uh, I didn't know anybody in that world, so I drove up by myself, had a hotel room by myself. I was just free to drink it all in, and there was so much to drink in. This amazing, rocking worship, almost as good as we have here at Overlake. I just I drank that in. There was this humor, this edgy kind of humor. I had no idea Christians could laugh. And, and, and then there was this content, powerful content, just really rich. I sat under guys like Mike Iaconelli and Doug Fields, and I was able to, to begin to craft a, 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 a ministry philosophy built on the purposes of God, and, and it was just really vibrant. And then I got to listen to Tony Campolo. Now, some of you already know Tony Campolo. If you don't know Tony Campolo, he's a dynamo. He's a professor of sociology at Eastern College, a powder keg, a wrecking ball, a smallish, swarthy, amazingly loving, incredibly funny, ferocious, fearless academic following hard after Jesus Christ and prophetically challenging Christians to examine and re-examine their followership. And I heard him speak at a general session. And he opened his his time with some humor, and then he began to attack his content like a kickboxer attacking a punching bag. And, and it was amazing. I was mesmerized the entire time. And, and I, I bring this up because this would be the beginning of my second conversion. And so what he did is he, he started talking from a sociologist's perspective about one of his colleagues, a sociologist, and the work that he had done in indigenous people groups in Africa. 
And he had gone into these people groups in Africa and he had studied their religious practice. And what he found was really interesting. That there would be in every community a group of values, kind of a value set, if you will, of every single community that he studied. By the way, this is just sociology 101. This is true in every community that has ever existed. A sense of prevailing values. So the, a community maybe values courage. They would value strength. They would value cunning, those kinds of things, cooperation, etc. values that they would have. And then he would notice that they would ascribe a certain value to some deity. So some, some deity, some, you know, small g God, would get uh, the, the lion's share of this particular value. And then they would represent that deity with some kind of an animal type of an image that, that, that would reflect the value that they were ascribing to the deity. So, for example, if they valued strength, then they might carve a lion and ascribe to that lion some deity that is lion-like, and that would be the god of strength. By the way, this is called totemism, and it's where we get the term totem pole, and uh, not to be confused with those of you who live at Totem Lake, Okay. And so you can imagine that a community would have, you know, a lion, a carved lion representing strength or a carved eagle representing cunning or a carved hyena representing uh, cooperation or teamwork or something. And, and they would take these idols and they would place them in the highest, uh, most sacred places in their village. And then they would worship them asking the deity of strength for more strength in their life, asking the deity of cunning for more cunning in their life, asking the deity of a certain value for more of that value in their own life. And this was basic religious development in all of these indigenous people groups. But Campolo says, but notice what they're worshiping. They're simply worshiping the values that they started with in the first place. So, in some weird, disassociated way, they're actually worshiping themselves. I was mesmerized. And then he says, we must be certain that we never do this with Jesus. And then he goes to the Beatitudes in scripture. And he says, tell me if this is the Jesus that so many American Christians worship today. And he begins with the words of Jesus. As Jesus says, blessed are the poor. You know, in Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But in Luke, he says, blessed are the poor. And Campolo says, does that sound like the Jesus that American Christianity celebrates? Blessed are the poor. Is that what our American church preaches? Or is it the opposite? No, blessed are the rich. The, the prosperity is the example of God's blessing, and it's not the poor. Nobody celebrates the poor. No, nobody wants to be poor. The poor don't say, hey, I am blessed. They say, no, when I'm prosperous, I'm blessed. And, and yet Jesus is the one who says, blessed are the poor. And then he just goes down the list. So, blessed are the merciful. Does the American church ever blame victims? Oh, of course, never. 
Does the American church ever fail to empathize? Oh, no, never. Does the American church always care instead of judge? Oh, yes, always. You know, no. But what does Jesus say? Jesus is blessed are the merciful, and yet the American church so often misses just this core tenet of mercy. He keeps going down the list. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Well, that's a blessing no Christian in America ever wants. Right? No, no, no Christian in America ever celebrates the idea that they are being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. And he continues to go through the Beatitudes and he shows how so often we celebrate the exact opposite of what Jesus himself honors. And, and then he concludes, he says, listen, when we go to war in America, we have no doubt that God is on our side because we have remade him in our own image. Just like those in, in Africa have had this value set and they thrust it on a deity and then they pray to the deity for the same values that they've already given the deity, that's what we've done with God. That we've had these values of prosperity, the American dream, and we've thrust them on God and then we pray to God that he would give us exactly what we valued in the first place. And I'm literally brain matter all over the people around me. And then he says, I wanna tell you a story about Brian. Brian was a student of mine at Eastern College. And he said, Brian was pre-med and planning on going into work in Beverly Hills. He wanted to do plastic surgery and not the valuable sort of reconstructive surgery after accidents, but the kind that caters to an industry of perfection and promises to make him a lot of money. But he said, before graduation, Campolo talked Brian into coming with him down to Haiti, visiting the work that was going on down there. And, and he showed him the living conditions and how much good could be done with the most basic of medical gear. And it really rocked Brian's world. So this young man, after he was done with medical school, he went to the third world and he opened up a clinic with all of the gear that he could get donated. And there was no doubt that he was given up a high-rise condo near the beach. He was given up a six-figure salary right out the gate. But Brian was filled and empty. He was making a difference and pouring out his life, and he never wanted to go back. And when Campolo visited him and asked him, how's it going, treating this vast community of needs with the barest of medical supplies, and Brian replied, uh, Tony, it's, it's going good. And Tony... I want you to know something. I'm, I'm really good at this. He said, I'm good. And Campolo put his hand on Brian's shoulder and said, Brian, you don't know how good you are. He said, this is what the good news is. This is that glimpse of heaven breaking in to this world. And, and it's, a, it's a glimpse of what the revolution that Jesus came to bring, this, this absolutely upside down, let's turn the value set all the way on its head and let's let heaven crash into earth like we pray. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Brian, you are a glimpse of what that looks like. And it's a beautiful glimpse. And we want more and more and more of those glimpses until the moment when all of the kingdoms of this world will be swallowed up in one kingdom with Jesus at the head and that's when we celebrate forever and ever. Amen. And everybody started cheering 
The whole room goes up. Everyone's you know, standing and weeping and clapping. Campolo like drops his mic and just walks off the stage. And I was, I was just emotionally caught up in that moment. And, and then they bring this musician named Ken Miedema to the piano. He's a, he's a blind musician. And his, his sort of spiritual gift is he would compose songs in a moment. He would craft them from his own skill, kind of a download of the Holy Spirit. And, and so after Campolo walks off and, and the crowd, in it, it its joy and in its repentance and in its tears, quiets down, he starts to play the piano very softly. And at first, he himself is overcome with emotion. And so it's not much of a song. It's just words. He's, he begins with, what can we say? when there are no words to say? How can we respond when our hearts are broken? He says, oh Lord, we meet you here in deep repentance, in our tears. And then his voice began to gather strength and he sung out clearly these words. Where justice rolls down like a mighty water and righteousness grows like an ever-flowing stream and mercy resounds like the waves on the ocean their praises rise high on the songs of the redeemed. And as he wrapped it up, I just sat there and I wept and I wept and I wept on Tuesday when I wrote this. And I realized that something had changed within me, that there, there was now going to be a difference in the way that I lived. And I put these things on your notes because I want you to see that th these things have marked the trajectory of my faith journey ever since. The first one is that Jesus is bigger than I think he is. Jesus is bigger than you think he is. And I might add, he's more than I potentially want him to be from time to time. And, and I want you to understand this, that I feel like this is a human tendency forever we're gonna battle with the reality that we want to put Jesus into a box. And, and I would just declare to you today, no matter how big your box is, Jesus is bigger than that box. It doesn't really matter how you want to phrase that box, who you think the love of Christ is for and who doesn't get the love of Christ, or, or how you think Jesus ought to operate and, and how you think he ought not to operate, or however it is that you want to craft that box, you just need to understand no matter how big it is, Jesus is bigger than that box. And lest you think that the, the kinds of problems that the, uh, the indigenous communities have when they uh, have this sort of charade of totemism, I want you to understand that yearly, one of our seminary professors in America, Dr. Scott McKnight, does an experiment with his seminary students. So these are the brightest minds that are going after what Jesus is calling them to do, and he asks them to do a couple of exercises. He doesn't tell them what it's for, and, Early in, the, early in the semester, he'll have his students 
write out to the best of their ability an analysis of the personality of Jesus. He'll say, take a look at the scriptures, take a look at all the verses in scripture, and then come up with your best shot at an analysis of his personality. A couple months later, he'll have, totally unconnected, he'll have the students do a second assignment, and the assignment is, to the best of your ability, write up an analysis of your own personality. And then towards the end of the semester, he passes back both assignments and has the students compare them. And an overwhelming majority of students give their personality to Jesus. So we create Jesus to be just like us. I want to show you a scripture. This is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in, in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Now, take a look at that passage, and then let me ask you, does that passage sound like you? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, is, is, is that picture that we have in Scripture of Jesus, is, is that, oh, that looks just like me. No, right? No, it doesn't look just like you. Jesus is not just like you, and he's not just like me. No, thank God, actually. I'm so glad. Uh, he's so much better, so much bigger, so much more loving. He's absolutely awesome, but he is not like me. He loves me, but he's not like me. Does this make sense, friends? In fact, I just want to tell you, Jesus is big enough to follow. He's big enough to spend your life following. Okay. Jesus is bigger than I think he is. Second thing is that justice and care must be part of our bringing his kingdom here. They must be part of our bringing his kingdom to bear in the here and now, and it must be a massive part. The church is God's change agent in the world today. Together, we bring glimpses of God's redemptive hand at work, and together, we can love the world enough to change it. That verse that Ken Meadham is saying is really from Amos chapter 5, verse 24, where the prophet writes, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And of course, for those of you who have been at Overlake for a season or two or longer, you know how seriously we pursue both justice and care, locally and around the world. And, and we do this because we believe this represents the heart of Jesus, okay? So those are ways in which my story has been marked and changed by the fact that Jesus showed up and he, he revealed to me how small I was making him and how big he is. What he really is interested in, in terms of my service for him in this world. And I share all that with you today because I wanted to give you an example. I wanted to start with a story since we are in the middle of a series called Tell Me a Story, and the premise of this series is so simple that God is writing a redemptive story. He's doing that with history. He's doing it with all of our lives, and specifically, he's doing it with your life, with my life. 
And the challenge of this series is that we would understand the story that God is writing in and through our life, and and then we would be willing to share it because there is this premise that we have at Overlake, all of us, all of us pastors, all of us leaders, all the elders, we all believe that there are thousands of people on the east side in the greater Seattle area that God is stirring their heart right now. And that he wants to use you, he wants to use me, he wants to use our story to to gather those, his own, those he loves, to himself, to his heart. And so I want to point you to this passage of scripture from Isaiah 43. These are the words of God. He says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Again, this is so often the word of God to us. It's so often his calming and assuring word. I am with you, he says. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. And so we believe this verse to still be true today, that these are still the words of God today, saying, look, those in the north, those in the south, the east, the west, God will bring his own back to himself, that those who have been scattered, maybe distant from God, theologically, spiritually, God wants to bring them back to himself. And, and, and so even from the distant corners, right, we recognize that God wants to use your story to connect with their story and, and, and draw this line of God's redemptive arc. And, and so we're involved in this verse. God wants to use you to share your story all the way to the east to Duval. We want to, we want to see those hearts met and won. And all the way to the west, maybe you district, right? And, and, and they're brought in all the way north to Mill Creek and beyond, all the way south to Auburn and beyond. Like there are so many hearts that God is stirring right now And we want to connect our story with their story to reveal God's story. And I want to draw your attention to this verse we used last week. We'll probably use it every week uh, in this series. But it's this verse. It's from Psalm 107. And it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Please circle that last phrase. That when we have had our lives invaded by Jesus, now it's time for us to be willing to tell our story. And if you want a biblical example of what this looks like, maybe this week you could read Acts 26. Because in Acts 26, all you see in that entire chapter is just Paul seizing an opportunity to tell his story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Psalm 71, 15 says, I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long I will proclaim your saving power, though I am not skilled with words. I will praise your mighty deeds, O sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone that you alone are just. When you look at that passage, what I'd love to have you do is circle the verbs. Circle tell, proclaim, Praise and tell. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. I will proclaim your saving power, though I'm not skilled with words. See, friends, there's not a level of eloquence required in this. I will praise your mighty deeds. Lastly, I will tell everyone that you are just. Let the redeemed of the Lord make these our operating verbs, friends, that we would constantly be ready to share. 
Okay, so how do we do that? I wanna break it down. If you're filling in the blanks, really simply, a couple of things. The challenges I bring to Overlake today, number one, that you would be willing to mine your story. That you would ask God, God, would you help me to look back over the course of my life and to see these moments where your redemptive hand was at work? That you mine your story and you start examining your life, maybe through the lens of what we talked about last week, that you would look at a moment when God met you in your life with his provision. Or maybe you look at a moment when God met you in your life with his deliverance, maybe that moment of salvation. Or you look at a moment when God met you with healing, or like I shared today, maybe you look at a moment when God showed up and revealed that he was far bigger than you had previously thought. Right? Think about these moments along the course of your story and begin to mine them so that they could be used for God's glory. See, I think what you'll find is the moment you begin to be intentional about mining your story, the more you will see that God's redemptive hand has been at work in your life again and again and again throughout the entire thing. Look at this verse. It says in Psalm 71, 17, oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood. Isn't that interesting? God's been a part of our lives the whole way. Oh, God, you've taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. So begin by mining your story. The second fill-in is I want to challenge you to sketch an episode that you would actually put pencil to paper. You begin to maybe sit down at your keyboard and pick a part of the story that you want to focus on and then write it up in the form of an episode. Okay, Now, I recognize that this is a challenge for so many of us to kind of think about just one episode, but I really want to challenge you to, to when you sketch your story, when you sketch the episode, try to get it down to like a one page, maybe one and a half pages. And some of you are like, oh, pastor, I, that's impossible. I can't tell my story in just one and a half pages. Well, Look, I'm not asking you to tell your entire story. I'm asking for, for you to really focus on one episode where God met you clearly. And so, so there's a really simple way that you can communicate God's redemptive work in that moment. See, some of us, we have this really tough time. We think, and I've heard this before, Pastor, I'd love to sit down with you sometime. I, I want to tell you my testimony. It'll only take two or three hours. Well, I just have to tell you, that's tough. It's tough if that's how you are approaching your story because very rarely will you find people that are willing to give you two or three hours. Most of us think all of the uh, Tolkien movies are too long, like, like three hours, just too much, right? We just, we're living in the world of ADD, so, so, so my challenge is that if you think in terms of an episode and you can put that episode together in terms of like four or five minutes, Right? That's how you can share an elevator story about your, your, your episode because you've boiled it down and you're ready. Now, I want to give you freedom. You can write up as many episodes as you have energy for. 
right? I would love it if you all would have four or five episodes that you've written. This is the story of God's provision for me, and this is the story of when I became a follower of Jesus, and this is the story of how he met me with his healing, and, and this is the story when he just blew me away with his presence so much more close than I ever thought, and you know, however you wanted to do that. But just understand, you don't have to get it all in one episode. You can write many, many episodes. The idea that I would have for you is this, because it's been asked, what do I write? So if you're writing kind of notes here, what you write, think of it in terms of threes. You're going to want to write a few words about what the circumstance was ahead of time. This is where I was. This is how I was thinking. This was my emotional state, etc. Then you're going to want to write out, this, was the, this is how God invaded so these are the circumstances, and then God showed up. And you're going to want to talk about how God showed up. What, what was the context in which Jesus met you there? And then the third thing you want to add is, this is what's changed. So this is what it was going on. This was my circumstance. This is how God showed up, and this is what was changed. And if you think, again, about the beginning of our message and, and the story I shared with you, I tried to give you all three things. These were the circumstances, this is where God met me, and these are the things that have changed since. And again, it's not this picture that now I'm perfect. It's not this picture we got it all together. No, no, no. It's just that these are now the things that I'm looking at as I'm pursuing him today. Okay? And that would constitute one episode. Again, it doesn't have to take a long time to communicate. Uh, you know, it, it takes forever to watch all of the seasons of 24, but it only takes 38 minutes to watch one episode. You're talking about one episode, right, that you want to communicate. Okay. So I want you to hear from a friend of mine today, and he's actually a friend of so many of yours. Uh, this is my friend, Jeff Boyer. He's an amazing counselor at church, uh, just all-around good guy. He's served with us in so many capacities at Overlake. Would you help me in welcoming Jeff today? Come on up, Jeff. Thank you so much. I don't think you need to recline on the couch today. I, I think just sitting would be, would be great. Uh, great to see you. So, Jeff, you and I, we, we've traded emails back and forth specifically about an episode in your life that came about after we were walking through our Blessing My City campaign and the idea of pastoring our parishes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened uh, sort of in your framework? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it was a little over a year ago when you were leading us through that that Blessing My City campaign, and, and uh, you know, it was, as you said, when you were right on that platform one Sunday morning, you used the word parish, and that was a big difference for me, because up until that point, um, I had been thinking about Blessing My City, and I live in Issaquah, and Trish, my wife, and I were trying to take actions to do that, bless our, our city and our neighborhood in Issaquah, and and, but parish was much bigger than that, and I hadn't thought about that that much until you used that word. And that also includes my, my workplace, my, my job site, which is not in Issaquah. And I thought, well, how will I, how will I be able to bless those in my workplace? So that thought was on my mind. And then we also found ourselves back at that time in a very similar position we're in right now, where the Seahawks were garnering... Uh, accolades and uh, in the headlines daily in their quest for the Super Bowl. Go Hawks. Come on. And uh, In fact, a so, lot of these guys are going, hey, let's wrap this up. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So we'll fast forward. <laughs> um, 
But uh, also, it didn't go unnoticed to me that uh, last year during all that publicity that uh, Russell Wilson and some of the other Seahawk players were also blessing their parish and taking some outward uh, uh, actions on behalf of their Christian faith. And that, that touched me. And so I had all those things on my mind. Now, I'm a general manager at a small paving company down in Kent. And I began to think a little bit about the fact that, well, football teams, they typically they typically go out and uh, before the game, they'll huddle up and they'll get pumped up and some of them jump and chant motivational phrases, some of them pray and prepare. And then uh, even after the game, it's not uncommon right. for them to come together. Uh, teams, members from both sides come out on the field and pray on bended knee. Um, and I thought about my workplace. I thought, well, we're a team, we're a family. Why not provide an opportunity for us to come together in the morning and have a company prayer before right. we send everyone out to their job sites. And so I presented that to the owner. I wasn't sure how he was going to accept it. And he thought it was a terrific idea. So great, sure enough, great. right after a Christmas vacation um, and break, the uh, first time we came back to work in January, he called everyone into the office and he presented the idea to, to them. And he said a, a wonderful prayer and sent everybody out to their jobs that day. Now, I've, uh, I've known this guy for... Uh, no, I worked for him for 12 years. I knew him when he was in junior high school, so I never heard him pray before. I was amazed. It was a wonderful prayer, so that, that, that moved me as well. Now, you had talked about how that was like a one-time event, but there actually is sort of a, a, something you had hoped would happen out of that. Well, yes. I thought it would, you know, just naturally continue, right? Yeah. Uh, we prayed one more time that week, and that was the end of it. And so now that bothered me a lot, and I thought, well, yeah, I could take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and step sure. up and lead the prayer, but I thought it would be so much more powerful if the owner of the company would do it. And so I would, uh, as I drive into the work each morning, I'd, I'd talk to our father about this, and I'd, you know, okay, Father, I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen today. This will be the day, and then I'd get to work, and I'd let some silly excuse get in the way, and it wouldn't happen. And it amazed me that I struggled that much with it, and it, I struggled with it for well over a month. And then I brought it up in our life group one Tuesday night, my struggle, and, and explained to them what, what was on my heart, and they, right. they prayed for resolution that night. So the next morning, I'm driving to work. It's raining cats and dogs, and I'm having my conversation with Father, and, and I pull into work, and I walk in, and all the employees are, are in the, gathered up in the shop out of the rain awaiting their assignments for the day. And I just stop, and I look, wow, God has assembled them for me. So I grabbed the owner, and I walked in, and we reinitiated the uh, company prayer that morning. And I told the guys, I said, guys, you know, this is totally voluntary, um, but I would be more than honored to be here every morning and pray for those of you that want to gather up and pray before you start your work day. And so we prayed that morning, and uh, we prayed the next morning. Out, it wasn't raining, we're out in the yard. And, and the third morning I drove in, and uh, everybody was out getting their stuff ready, and the foreman was standing out in the yard, and I walked up next to him, and he turned to me and he said, Hey, Jeff, I don't think it's going to happen this morning, buddy, because uh, everybody's in a mad scramble to get out of here. We're in a big hurry this morning. I said, Well, that's okay. I could pray for you if you'd like. And he looked at me, and he took his hat off and he bowed his head and I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him. And then I turned and I started to walk away, but I noticed he was laughing. <laughs> and I go, what's funny? And he says, well, look at Judge. 
One of our coworkers is nicknamed Judge, and he had been on a backhoe uh, loading crushed rock in the back of a dump truck while I was praying with the foreman. And obviously he'd seen us. So we looked at Judge, and here's Judge on the, on the, sitting up on that backhoe going, you know, what about me? Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, okay. You know, I told uh, the foreman, I said, well, that's all right. We can wait until he's finished, and then he can come over, and we'll pray again. And he finished up real quick, and he came down off the back when he started walking over, and seven or eight other guys joined him and all came over, and we all circled up again. And I said another prayer. And I, you know, they turned and they went back to their vehicles and went off to their job sites, and as I walked back through the yard to the office, tears just streamed down my face. Only three days, and already some of those men were missing, being prayed for. So it's powerful. So to this day, uh, we pray every morning when we get together. And um, I could tell you uh, many wonderful and inspiring stories that have resulted from that, um, that have transpired since those early days last March. Uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, Mike. Right. I mean, it, it right. still continues. I, I can't even imagine what uh, goes on at their homes now and with their families and with their, their friends and their acquaintances and, and, uh, and, it's and how God works in their hearts, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's hard for me to talk about it without having tears. So. And, uh, and Jeff, that's their story, right? That's right. You're playing that's a, a, a part right. in God's redemptive work in their lives and then yes. that's a part of their story. Absolutely. Friends, can we thank Jeff for sharing with us today? <laughs> Pastor Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jeff and his wife Trish, they live their life so consistently reflecting the love of Jesus and it's it's an amazing thing to be on the journey with folks like this, but I count it as a a personal challenge just even this idea. We've talked about recognizing that wherever we go in our in our lives, like in our parish, in our neighborhood, in our communities, that, that we have an opportunity to connect people to the redemptive work of Jesus. And Jeff, thank you so much for living that reality out. It actually brings us to the next fill-in, and the next fill-in is a continuous step that I want to challenge us to do as we're, as we're looking at this whole process of telling our story, and that is to pray. The continuous step is to pray. That we would pray as we're mining our story, that the Holy Spirit would bring our attention to the moments that he would like us to, to know again and to recognize again. And the reason we want to pray is because when we mine our story and sketch our story, what Jesus wants is for us to relive that part of the story. To, to really experience again the recognition of him being present with us and redeeming us through whatever the circumstance was. And, and, and so we grow and we know it more and it, and it becomes more true in our lives. And that's why we want to add prayer to this whole process. And then I would challenge you to pray that God would give you opportunities to share your story. So pray not only that God would show you the story or the episodes that he wants you to tell, but then pray that there'd be opportunities to share that story as well, kind of like Jeff was doing. Lord, can I have this opportunity to pray? Also, understanding that prayer is a huge tool that opened up the doors of communication with folks spiritually. 
So, so let me give you a couple of questions that you can ask. And these are bold questions, but they're really questions that open up doors to spiritual conversation, okay? So the first question is the question, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Okay. It's, it, it can be personal, but again, what it is is opening a door. The next question is, how can I be praying for you? which is one of those kind of pastoral moments where the recognition is that you're going to continue to care for this person. You want to be in an ongoing relationship of lifting their needs before the Lord. And so how can I be praying for you is a powerful question. Again, it opens a door to a spiritual conversation. And then the third question is actually the most risky. It's where Jeff went, but it's the question, can I pray with you? And where you've, you've actually opened the door, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? What are the things that I can pray about? And then, can I pray with you? And put your hand on his shoulder and just begin to pray. And that's a way in which you can intersect their story. The last fill-in is that we want to create opportunities to share our story. We want to create opportunities to share. Mind your story, sketch an episode, pray, and then create an opportunity to share. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. The phrase that I want you to focus on is the first phrase, come and listen. And so I want to ask you to take a look at your week, right? Look ahead in this next week or maybe the next two weeks. And I want you to sort of ask the Lord, Lord, where can I create opportunities to share my story? Where are the opportunities that I can say, come and listen to those that you've placed in my life? So I want to let you know that these are going to be people that you're already in relationship with. And these are going to be your friends or your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, the, the ones you've already built a relationship of care with. Okay, this is not one of those deals where you're knocking door to door you've never met before. Uh, you're in line at Starbucks. You turn to the guy behind you. Hey, I want to tell you my testimony. You know, like you can do that. People do do that. It, it's real scary to do that. It's also real scary to hear that sometimes. And so... Uh, I would just say, in fact, I, I know a guy, an evangelist, he told me the story of once he got into a crowded elevator, and, uh, you know, in an elevator, everyone just stands and looks at the numbers, and nobody talks, so he turned around and faced everyone else in the elevator, and then he clapped his hands, and he said, all right, today, we're going to sing, You Are My Sunshine. And he said he was certain that there were people calling 911 right there, like that. It's just so creepy sometimes, right? This idea of stranger connect and this all, everyone's aware of stranger danger, all this stuff. That's why it's, it really does help if there are folks that you're already in relationship with that you've already communicated care to along the way. Second thing you need to know is it will take an intentional risk. It's a, it's a risk that you're going to have to take. When you ask somebody, hey, would you come, and, and I, I, there's something that I feel like God wants me to share with you, your heart's going to be pounding. And then the third thing you need to know is it must be intentional. It must be an intentional moment. It's really, really difficult to have these level of conversations where you're sharing your story in sort of a by-the-way kind of a thing. 
However, it doesn't have to be elevated into this big thing either. You can just make it, hey, I'd love to buy you a coffee this week. There's just some things in my heart I'd love to talk with you about, right? Uh, hey, what are you doing for lunch on Thursday? I'd love the time with you. There's some stuff that I really feel like I'd love to share. Maybe it's how you restructure, say, halftime today, right, with your friends and family that are sitting around, and instead of just watching highlights or, you know, commentary, you kind of mute it for a while and just begin to have intentional conversation. Life groups, by the way, at Overlake, we're kind of, this is an opportunity, as even Jeff shared, that, that we want to get into this level, into our life groups, where we're really free to share our story, really free to, to know one another at this level of the episodes of God's redemptive work. And the last thing I want to say today, and then I'm going to wrap this up, is there's a, a, a website, a place on our website where we are hoping to gather hundreds of stories. And it's just occ.org slash story. And we would love to have you go there, write up an episode. Again, what was going on, how God invaded, what's been changed. And, and you're free to do this as many times with as many episodes as you like. But the desire that we have is that we would love to make sure that we are beginning to be free and, and intentional about sharing our story. Again, what does the scripture say? Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So friends, I'd love to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're simply going to be praying right now that we would be responsive to God in this regard, that we would be open, courageous, intentional about mining our story and sketching it, that we would be intentional about prayer and about creating opportunities. Jesus, at the beginning of our prayer, at the beginning of this journey, we just want to say it all starts with you. We want to confess and recognize that you are wonderful. You are loving and redemptive. You are powerful. You are sweeping us into this amazing reality that starts in this lifetime and lasts for eternity. And we're so thankful for the way in which you have invaded our lives, the way that you've provided for us, the way that you've delivered us, the way that you've healed us, the way that you show yourself bigger and more awesome and more powerful than we can ever imagine. Thank you so much for all of this, Jesus. Now, Lord, what we ask is that you would allow us to be intentional about how you've invaded our lives. We ask that you would allow us to mine certain aspects of our story so that we are ready to share that part of our story, your redemptive work in our life, with those that we know, those that we care about, those that we are developing relationship with. We love you, Lord, and we know that story is so powerful, and it's how you draw hearts to yourself. And so we just want to be available to you. We want to be used of you. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.